Welcome to Podcasts, recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everybody. Happy Sunday. For those of you who've been hanging around this month, you know we're working on Brene Brown's book, Braving the Wilderness. And uh, she chronicles the quest for true belonging, that ability to be authentically yourself, even in the midst of other people. Last week, we talked about the idea of the spiritual crisis. Actually, the country right now, Brene Brown says, and I do believe it's true, is in the midst of a spiritual crisis. And by that, she means that we have allowed the law of attraction to separate us out into, into separate silos. And, and of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be with people who think like you think. Uh, but the trouble with it is when we take it to extremes, we're all in our separate little worlds believing what the people around us believe, uh, looking like the people who look like us and behaving like the people who behave like we do. And, and of course, there is the danger there when we only hang out with people like ourselves. That danger is we start classifying people who don't look like us, who don't hang out with us, as suspicious. There's something going on there. There's Their opinions probably aren't as good as our opinions. And so last week we hopefully dispelled that myth that really in order for us to achieve anything wonderful on the planet, it takes the, the full diversity of life. It takes all of the compliments of different kinds of people coming together to make something greater. That, that truly great things never come from a group of people that all believe the same thing. Where's the, where's the chance of innovation there? Well, today we're going to move into uh, another chapter of the book. And, and, and a minor caution here, uh, Brene Brown uses a rather strong word for something that uh, I tend to call, or at least my grandfather called malarkey. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to abbreviate the word for our general consumption as BS. Uh, uh, but, uh, but just know that if you're reading the book and are offended by so-called swear words, stand back. <laughs> Because <laughs> she uses a stronger word than either malarkey or BS. The reason it's important, though, this lesson or this way of thinking has to do with being able to stand in our truth. And of course, in order for us to stand in what's true for us, we have to know the difference between truth, perhaps lying, and then even this third category that we might call BS. So these are the definitions that she gives us out of the book. She says, the truth contains facts that have been researched and are provable. She says that lies are purposeful contradictions to truthful facts. So purposeful, notice there's intent here. And then finally, BS is presenting your opinions or your view as though it has been researched and factual. All right? Make sense? And I want to highlight this, though, just even a little bit more with today's joke. So a fellow goes to the doctor for his annual checkup. The nurse starts with the certain basic items. How much do you weigh, she asks. Oh, about 175, he says. The nurse puts him on the scale. Well, it turns out he weighs 200 pounds. The nurse asks, your height? Oh, I'm 6'3", he says. The nurse checks and sees that he only measures about six foot even. 
She then takes his blood pressure. Oh my word, your blood pressure is quite high, she says. Of course it's high, he exclaims. When I came in here, I was tall and slender. (laughs) So I I do think, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't think it's with any degree of maliciousness, but don't we tend to overstate our position a little bit in the world? Don't we tend to present ourselves in maybe an idealized kind of way? And perhaps don't we even do that sometimes with our opinions? Not not really lying, not lying in the way that, uh, that she defines it here, but that idea of edging into telling the story in a way that's maybe a little better or at least portrays you a little better than what could be factually proven. Aren't we all a little bit uh, able to do that? You're not nodding, but you don't have to. (laughs) You're human beings, so I know you do this. (laughs) The trouble is, when we begin portraying some of our more, uh, what do I want to say, incendiary beliefs, when we begin portraying some of our other uh, strong opinions as though they were actual facts, Haven't you noticed that the world tends to press right back up against you? When you get that feeling of, oh my gosh, am I the only one here that believes that? And you look around and you notice you're standing a bit up on a soapbox as though you're lecturing people. Have you noticed they don't like to be lectured to? (laughs) And that's the trouble, I guess, with this idea of malarkey or this idea of exaggerating the truth. When you portray it as not only true for you, but when you portray it as this is the truth and it ought to be your truth, you're going to get some pushback. Now, the reason I'm doing this particular lesson right now is we're headed off to the holidays, right? Family groupings at Christmas, family groupings at Thanksgiving. Some of you are shaking your head, no, I ain't ever going back to that family. (laughs) But what I have noticed is oftentimes at family gatherings, there are a few, what do we call them? Sacred cows, a few uh, topics that maybe we don't discuss freely. And the reason for that is my guess is some of our opinions have been presented as though they were the truth and presented in a way that that implied and everybody who has a brain in their head should also believe in them. So today I want to talk about how we can actually stand in our truth and at the same time be kind, be civil, and interact well with others. Now, some of you are going, well, I just don't think that's possible. (laughs) Let me know later how I do. First of all, it's worthwhile to actually question the things that you believe, whether they are true according to this more rigorous definition, or whether, in fact, some of what you're putting out there might be raising that BS meter. One way of doing that is literally to check the facts of it to see whether or not what you have is an opinion, nothing wrong with opinions, or whether it can actually be presented with facts. And that's our our first clue, by the way, of how to get along well with others when we stand in our truth. If you have an opinion and you state it as an opinion, oh my gosh, what a breath of fresh air. You can simply say something like, you know, I haven't really researched this a whole lot, but my experience has been dot, dot, dot. 
Do you see how that is a kind and gentle way of stating what is true for you that is not apt to have a, a, a huge backlash involved? Because you have identified it as your opinion. You've said, this is what I have come to believe through my experience of the world. Counteract that or, or, or put that in juxtaposition who's someone who claims their opinion without any particular basis in reality at all right? And you'll get some pushback. If you, if you just say, this is true, gosh darn it, and, uh, and you should believe it too, you're going to get that, that sense of resistance because it will be perceived, and whether it's true or not, it's apt to be perceived as that element of malarkey. Now, if you have done some research, I think it's fair to share that research. You can say in a, in a 1965 study of uh, over 5,000 people, butter isn't as harmful as we thought it was, right? And of course, I'm giving away some of the conversations we have around the Thanksgiving table, right? As the rolls go around and someone's staring at the butter tray and says, you're going to kill yourself with that. It's like, right? So is that true? Is that malarkey, <laughs> right? Now, if you're an authority on something or if you're up on the latest information, I think that's cool. And if you present it in that light, I think, again, you won't get a lot of pushback. If you literally say, oh, you know, I was reading an article just from last week in Scientific American. And, and the good news is it's probably fine for us to eat butter again. And, and you know, there was, you know, 5,000 people in a study. Do you see how that actually conveys a sense of, of truth? Again, people are still invited to have their own opinions but you haven't gotten quite up on the soapbox and said, so eat that butter. <laughs> so first of all, is what you're saying an opinion or is it some kind of verifiable truth as, uh, as Brene Brown would say? Because it makes a difference. We can present something as opinion uh, and again, it's not inviting a pushback. We can just simply say, well, you know, I don't really have any particular basis for this in terms of scientific evidence, but, but what I found to be true in my life is, and people will listen. All right. Now, how do we stand in our truth when someone else is giving us the line of BS and they're up on the soapbox? The recommendation is to actually show interest, not interest necessarily in buying into the truth that's coming at you, someone else's idea of the way it should be, but the idea that people aren't going to pay any attention to us at all unless we're actually honestly interested and willing to listen to them. And so when you approach them with this idea of the namaste spirit, that the, the God in me honors the God in you, I'm actually going to listen to what you have to say. Then people tend to get down off the soapbox. Then there tends to be that availability of sharing ideas. You can get people to say, uh, for instance, that that is their opinion and not necessarily some factual information. 
I remember not too long ago, we were talking about health and safety issues. And without even particularly thinking about it, I, I, I said, well, you know, of course, this neighborhood is as, as safe as it's ever been. And people were giving me, you know, the look like, well, what do you mean exactly? And I realized I was in danger of doing the malarkey thing. I was in danger of sounding like I was getting up on a soapbox and telling them that they should believe that the neighborhood is as safe as it ever should be. So instead, I quickly backtracked and I said, well, you know, I'm really just going by law enforcement statistics. You know, the statistics show that in this neighborhood, we're as safe now as it was in 1963. That doesn't mean, of course, that we shouldn't take precautions. It doesn't mean that bad things might not happen. I'm just saying that the study that was done and the statistics coming uh, from law enforcement from the city of Portland show this neighborhood uh, really pretty darn safe, as safe as it has been in years and years and years. And do you see how that's, how now I'm qualifying it. Now I'm, I'm inviting other people to actually even share their experience. Well, you know, someone broke into my house. Oh, I'm so, so sorry to hear that. I can see why you might have a different feeling around personal safety here. And so you're actually inviting what Brene Brown says to zoom in on a person or an issue, not just assume that everybody thinks like you do, not just to assume that because someone lives in a certain part of town or has a certain kind of job that we can stereotype them into, into just knowing what they think based on how they're dressed or, or where they work. There's that tendency. And, and have you noticed it too, that sometimes because of one little thing, people will think they can completely categorize you. They'll find out where you were born and have all kinds of assumptions of people who, who were born in New York City. Or, or they'll find out uh, what your profession is. It's a real common one for ministers, for instance. For a long time, I did not introduce myself as Reverend Larry King to strangers. Do you want to know why? They had in mind a particular minister. <laughs> they weren't looking at me. They were looking at some older guy when they were like five years old in Sunday school, expecting a certain kind of piousness and a, and a certain kind of rigidity. And so how easy it is to just summarize and think you know someone based on almost no information at all. And so Brene Brown says, we need to zoom in. We actually need to find out about people that are different from us. They have different opinions, but it doesn't mean because they have an opinion that seems to fit one stereotype, they're gonna go right down the line with all uh, different kinds of similar opinions, right? Everyone has a granularity to them that is worth getting to know. And so one of the things that you might want to do at your holiday when a topic comes up that seems to have some, uh, a little bit of pushback, a little bit of heated discussion going, is to literally find out why people believe what they believe. To actually ask questions about it. And from that authentic heart, that, that sense of let me find out about what you believe, and then I would bet you'll want to know what I believe, that true sense of interactivity, not just posturing, not just standing up in a sort of confrontive way. You know, this all boils back, of course, to the uh, initial uh, Christian teachings of doing 
unto others as we would have our own lives done to, right? That idea that I'm going to treat people with love and compassion because that's what I want. I'm not going to stand up on my soapbox and yell at people because that's not how I want to be treated. And so when we enter into some of these discussions, truly with the open heart, with the inquiring mind, you would be surprised, A, how much better the conversations go. That one's almost a given, right? But also, I've learned a thing or two. The last time we went to visit Daniel's father, avid hunter, and of course I thought I knew everything I needed to know about gun control, even though I've never fired a gun in my life. That was my malarkey. That was my belief in what was right and, and what was good and what everybody should believe. And so then I talked to a hunter for an hour and a half from that honest perspective of, well, tell me about what it's like to own a gun and what kind of safety procedures do you follow and, uh, and how do guns work in your life and the and the whole nine yards we spoke for a couple hours about how one intelligently might go about something like gun control what what things don't even make sense and what things would make sense and so on and so forth and i gotta tell you afterwards my father-in-law came up to me and said i'm really surprised we could have that discussion and i said what do you mean and he said well you seem so liberal I just assumed, right? How often do we make assumptions like that just based on one or two comments that someone makes? We think we have them pegged when the reality is there is many different thoughts swirling around all of our brains. It isn't one size fits all. And in particular, when we get to know people, when we're willing to zoom in and really listen with an interest, we're not only going to have a better time of things, but we may actually have our own minds changed a little bit in a way that's the third way. Is everyone familiar with the third way? So the idea, of course, is that the law of attraction tends to sort us out. We tend to flock together with people who believe what we do and have similar values. And so on the outside, it looks like, well, here's a group of people that thinks or believes the opposite of someone else. Well, that's the, the two ways of thinking, right? It's either black or it's white. It's either true or it's false. But the reality of life is that it's almost always more complicated than that. There's almost always the third way. And it's the third way that will typically come up with something that can solve amazing problems that neither of the two separate ways are ever going to tackle because they are too far to one side of an issue or another. It's that third way. It's that place not so much as compromise as it is a place of revelation where two people with very different ideas when they honestly listen to each other from that place of curiosity from that place of compassion from that place of honestly wanting to learn why someone thinks the way they think that's where the third way arises that's where the solution to some of life's thorniest problems can be born it's because two people are saying, I care enough about you that I believe the two of us can figure this out. I believe that the two of us can come to a place 
where we agree. Now, we may not end up agreeing how things get implemented, but at least agree in the principle of what's up for us right now. So the other thing I want to talk about is civility. She spends about half of the chapter talking about the idea of civility. How do we get across what's important to us in a way that's kind and gentle and inviting? She says that it's important because uncivility is one of the greatest stressors on the planet. Researcher Christine Porath found that the number one reason that people either will not like the jobs they're working in or will leave a job that they're working in is because they don't believe that things are going well socially at the job. There's a, a feeling of disharmony, of distrust or uncivility. And it's one of the number one stressors at, at most of our places at work, that feeling that there's backbiting, there's backstabbing, there are people climbing ladders. You know, we have all different kinds of words for it, but, but basically we're not treating each other well course it's in play in all of our lives right don't we tend to avoid people that are in our faces don't we tend to avoid situations where there will be conflict the trouble with this though is if we simply avoid conflict in many ways we're tacitly agreeing with the conflict Hasn't there been a time in your life when you felt like the odd person out? When you were in some kind of a social situation or a work situation where you had a, a fairly strong uh, opinion or idea or something that you thought was true for you and just about everybody else was on the other side of that issue or that way of being. I think we have all felt that before. Wasn't there the tendency to do either one of two things. If you tend to be uh, someone who needs anger management, there was the tendency to stand up uh, on a chair and just yell louder. But for the rest of us, there was that tendency to withdraw. There was that tendency to say, I'm just not going to even voice my opinion. I can tell everyone here believes XXXXX. I don't, so I'm just going to be really quiet. The trouble with that is we're reinforcing those silos of one form of belief. There's not actually room here for learning that third way. And so even though we're, we're doing that, we think to keep a fight from erupting, even though we're doing that, uh, we think to make peace, what we're tacitly saying is, your louder opinions are more important than my quieter opinions. I'm just going to go with that. We end up in that unpleasant situation of being the backseat driver. Does everyone know the phenomenon of the backseat driver? Of course, when we're in a car, the person driving needs to be in charge, right? <laughs> but there's usually someone in the car with us, or when there is someone in the car with us, that'll kind of notice little things, like maybe a pedestrian approaching from the side. And we're not sure if the driver sees it. So, so we have these little comments being helpful, right? You know, mind the orange cone. <laughs> so the trouble with that is it works in the car pretty good. 
the driver's in charge, and it's not that bad to have helpful hints now and then. But when we're not in the car, people often still take that on. We're picking away at other people's opinions. And we're, when we're in the backseat position, we often let other people, often people we know and love, speak for us even when it's not true. When you let people speak for you even when it's not true for you, you're putting yourself in that backseat position. You're saying, my truth is not as important as my husband's truth, as my best friend's truth, as my wife's truth. You're basically selling yourself short. Most often this is fear-based. Most often this is not wanting to rock the boat because you're fearful that there will be conflict. I'm here to tell you, we should stand up for each other and we can do it in a way that doesn't promote the conflict. Again, back to our, our key learnings. How do we present a truth that's true for us? We, first of all, we can offer it up as an opinion. This isn't necessarily true with a capital T, but my experience is it works this way. And sometimes we actually know the facts, right? Sometimes we actually have seen the report from the city of Portland to see the crime statistics in a certain neighborhood, and we can share that. And when we do it in that way, once again, we're not inviting conflict. Uh, we're just inviting a, a discussion of what's true. So what we've talked about today are two key elements in this idea of dealing with BS. One, we don't want to contribute our own BS. We want to make sure that when we present what's true for us, we either clearly make it an opinion, or if we're going to present it as a fact, we've done the research and we understand that. And the other part of today that we learned is civility, the idea that I can always do something in a way that is kind to others, that's inviting an interaction, but still has that namaste spirit, that spirit that says, the God in me honors the God in you. You have the right to your opinions just as I have the right to my opinions. And I'm actually interested. I'm going to zoom in. I'm not going to just assume because of the part of town you live in or the kind of car that you drive that you are a certain way and have certain beliefs. I'm actually going to get to know you because you're worth it. Homework. You knew that there would be some homework. Are you willing to examine your own story for the BS element? This is hard homework, I know. Some of us have had our line of truth about who I am and what I represent that has been true for many, many years. Some of us just wander into the doctor's office and say, I weigh 175 pounds, and we don't even really think about it. In our heads, maybe we do weigh 175 pounds, and we are six foot two. Have you examined your own story lately for how much of it is an opinion versus how much of it is a fact? So that's your homework this week. Simply when you find yourself in a position of telling other people how it is, examine that for truth or is it your opinion? Is it a story? So that's your homework for the week. I'm going to close today with a quote from uh, Brene Brown's book, Anna Prayer. 
She says, I know that the practice of speaking truth over BS while being civil feels like a paradox, but both are profoundly important parts of true belonging with others. We are complex beings who wake up every single day and fight against being labeled and diminished with stereotypes. Yet, when we don't risk standing up on our own and speaking out, when the options laid before us force us into the very categories we resist, we perpetuate our own disconnection and loneliness. Yet, when we are willing to speak up, when we're willing to take that risk, we can feel the deepest connection to our true selves and to what matters the most. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one joy, one goodness, one peace. There's only this one thing. I call it spirit. I call it God. And what I know about it is that we are all not only a part of it, but intricately connected to it, intricately connected also to one another. And when I'm speaking to someone else, it is God speaking to God. When any one of us is in conversation, the conversation is between spirit itself. And because of this, I know that I can easily state my opinion as an opinion and I will be thought no less of. That when we are together, I can speak with kindness and that true interest of of wanting to get to know another human being better. What motivates them? what, What allows their hearts to sing? their beliefs, their understandings. And as it is true, in that direction, I know it's also the invitation for me to open up, for me to state my opinions and truths. And so whether it be for this holiday season or just in our everyday lives, I know that each person here has that ability, first of all, to examine our own heart for the truth, to graciously offer up our opinions and our truths, and to do so from that place of love, to do so from that place of integrity and intentional listening. For this, I'm grateful. For this, I know that the essential peace and balance of the universe is brought to bear. And so I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org slash donate. 
Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the Center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.